Mr. Putin, did you weaponize monkeypox? Nah, we just stockpiled it, along with the other deadly viruses like Marburg and Black Death and Ebola. But doesn't it seem weird to you that four times as many countries outside Africa, the historical endemic area for this virus, have reported monkeypox this month as having the previous 50 years? Scientists are puzzled. This is beyond unusual. You Americans and your scientists, you immediately release vaccine from your national stockpile. Isn't it better just let Jesus take the wheel? Listen to the Republicans. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Hi, Sandra. I want to start this episode by telling our people here two things. One, don't panic. Monkeypox is not like COVID SARS-2, but it does seem to be spreading quite unusually outside its historic endemic area. And, you know, it's best to be informed and keep an eye out on the situation. And second, the title might seem like clickbait, but it's not. We don't do that. And we'll explain. There is enough suspicion out there about the 250 plus cases of monkeypox that... You know, reputed scientists and journalists like Ed Young of The Atlantic, who won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on COVID, felt compelled to include phrases like this one in his article. Quote, The US has spent decades thinking about how to handle smallpox bioterrorism. The two cases of monkeypox in 2021 provided handy test runs for those plans, which are now unfolding smoothly. Yeah, that pretty much lays out our suspicion, I think. Even though an official determination as to the nature of this outbreak has yet to be made. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the virus itself, how monkeypox presents uh, incubation period symptoms, how it transmits and how contagious it is, mortality rates and other such facts. And then we're going to get to the existing cases outside of Africa and why the medical community is worried about how this outbreak is different than others. And, of course, we're going to look at what Russia's been doing over the decades and how they weaponized the smallpox virus, which is similar to monkeypox. So what exactly is monkeypox? Well, monkeypox and smallpox are part of the orthopox virus family, and the natural hosts are vertebrates, including mammals and human primates, us, and arthropods, so, you know, even the insects, even those with an exoskeleton too, can catch monkeypox, just in case anyone is doubting evolution. Just to clarify, the Earth is not 6,000 years old, it's 4.5 billion years old, evolution is fact, and climate change is real. Yeah, uh, go see a glacier, people, because they're not going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> so there are a dozen viruses in this genus labeled with the name pox that favor certain animal species. Smallpox for small beans like us, and there's camelpox <laughs> and the horsepox and the like. So the point is, there's a lot of cross coverage from the smallpox vaccine. That's why you can't test people who've had the smallpox vaccine to see if they have antibodies for monkeypox, because there's cross-reactivity between the antibodies and you might get a false positive. So people older than 50 who got the smallpox vaccine way back when have about 85% protection against monkeypox, 
but we stopped giving smallpox vaccines in the early 1970s, at least in the U.S., when the disease was considered eradicated. I actually asked my mom for my old vaccination records, and it turns out I am vaccinated for smallpox, and I don't think there's a single childhood vaccine I didn't have, maybe even some that most kids didn't get. I think it's because my dad was a doctor, and I think he was obsessed with vaccinating me fully against anything, even if it's officially eradicated. And for the anti-vaxxing crowd, you have made it to adulthood and spreading nonsense online now only because you've been vaccinated for a myriad of diseases as a child. Not smallpox, but definitely many other life-threatening diseases. You're here because of that. The kind of disinformation you're spreading is a virus in itself. It kills people. And unfortunately, there's no vaccine for stupidity. We are now at the Wittgenstein stage of literary quotes I use to annoy Sandra. Whereof one cannot speak, thereof one must be silent. So, good advice for lots of people. Speak like the anti-vaxxers. So, anyways, Americans under 50, unless they spent childhood years abroad, are not vaccinated for smallpox. I'm not, personally. Good luck. <laughs> I'm yeah. joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, people who had this vaccine can see the scar. I mean, only if you look really, really close, though. I had to check my arm about three times before I was able to see it. But the smallpox vaccine has a replicating virus in it, and it's called vaccinia. So it replicates and causes a blister just as if you would have smallpox, but with just one single blister at the place of the injection. That blister bursts and scars, just like the blisters you'd get if you had smallpox, and that's how you get the vaccine scar. That's even worse. So the incubation time ranges from 5 to 21 days. In the first 3 to 5 days, you'll get headaches, muscle aches, fever, basically flu-like symptoms. But more specifically, you'll have swollen lymph nodes, and after a few days, you get a rash. Then the rash becomes kind of pimple-like blisters on your face, your hands, your feet, and also genital areas. Also in the eyes and mouth. There is a mortality rate associated with it, even if it's on the low end. On the high end, say 10%. And like COVID, it'll be people weakened by some other condition that are the most at risk. Smallpox had a 30% case fatality rate when it was raging, but we eradicated it. Monkeypox, as Neil said, has a mortality rate between 1 and 10%, depending on the strain and on where you are. It's important to highlight here that the case fatality rate depends also on the medical care that you get. In Africa, where monkeypox is endemic, healthcare is spotty at best, so it makes sense that there are more deaths there. Unlike COVID though, which is an airborne virus, monkeypox is not as highly transmissible. Monkeypox is transmitted by bodily fluids, like large respiratory droplets, right? So basically saliva flying at you. With COVID, one person can infect, you know, seven, eight other people. That's the average. That's the COVID SARS-2 R0. R0 is the mathematical formula that expresses the average number of people who will contract a contagious disease from one person with that disease. So for monkeypox, R0 is less than one. So transmission needs to be close contact for an exchange of bodily fluid. Just like General Jack D. Ripper warned us, we've got to look after our precious bodily fluids. So far, it seems most cases of monkeypox have been identified in men who have sex with other men. 
and by the way, because we haven't told our people here yet, monkeypox is actually a misnomer. It's mostly rodents like rats, mice, and so on who carry the disease, not monkeys. But monkeypox was first discovered in laboratory monkeys in 1958, hence the name. And I feel like, you know, poor monkeys getting a bad rep. Also, I wish we would stop testing on animals. It's so cruel. I mean, look, we test all kinds of idiotic things on poor defenseless animals, like substances that go into makeup, for example, causing horrific cruelty for a lipstick. It's insane, you know? That's why I'm only buying Lush Cosmetics and no, they're not paying us. Lush Cosmetics, not animal tested. Yes. Yeah, for literally the least important thing in the world. But in any case, there have been monkeypox outbreaks since the 1970s. But uh, as Sandra said, mostly in Africa, Nigeria, Congo, other such uh, Central and West African nations. Yes, it's not the first time this happens in the U.S., though. In 2003, we had an outbreak in the Midwest, in Illinois, after an import of rats and mice from Ghana. Wait, 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 what? So why? Why would we import a rat from Ghana? Did we really import rats and mice? Yes, yes, we did, because they were being sold here in the U.S. as exotic pets, because people... Because people can't seem to understand that exotic animals are supposed to be left alone to live happily in their natural habitats. It's first of all a cruelty thing, you know, it's a cruelty thing to own exotic pets because they have very specific life quality requirements that are impossible for any place other than their natural habitat to provide, right? And secondly, it's dangerous for many reasons, one being exactly this, you can get infected with a rare virus. Kapow! Wow, was that a thunder? Yes. I thought somebody bombed you. I thought they nuked you. It's the hand of God coming to get us. (laughs) Yeah, so the rats and mice from Ghana infected prairie dogs, which are also pets that people loved. And people adopted prairie dogs, prairie puppies, I guess. And the prairie puppies infected 70 Americans with monkeypox. Some sources say 47 Americans were infected, nobody died. But no, this is not an unprecedented situation. But what's different here is seeing so many cases without a clear prime source. Rarely, monkeypox makes it to other continents. And when it does, outbreaks are so small that they're usually measured in single digits. Exactly. We're getting to the what's unusual or weird about these monkeypox outbreaks part. First of all, I would say, and maybe a very important thing about monkeypox is that you are not contagious until you have symptoms. In other words, during the incubation period, you are not contagious. You can only spread the disease once you start feeling sick, having a fever. You have bumps and blisters on your face, extremities and genitalia, which is also one of the reasons monkeypox doesn't spread so fast and so wide, because let's face it, who wants to be close with someone who is sick and has unusual-looking pus-filled blisters all over their face? You know, it's a human natural instinct to stay away, right? And this is the thing. Some of the people diagnosed with monkeypox now have had no obvious contact with people known to be infected. Now is the time to start a monkeypox OnlyFans. (laughs) No. (laughs) So the virus mutated and now some people are contagious before developing symptoms. Yes, it appears that way, and I think that's why scientists and medical professionals are concerned and the bioterrorism idea is being looked at closely. The gist of it is that DNA viruses tend to stay stable over time, 
whereas RNA viruses like COVID tend to mutate a lot. Monkeypox is a DNA virus like smallpox was. Yes, we eradicated smallpox with one single vaccine. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even able to mutate from one vaccine. Whereas if you look at SARS-CoV-2, the variants popping up are less and less susceptible to the original vaccine strains. And real fast, because I think it's really important, let's explain what DNA and RNA are. Life on Earth is very diverse, from single-celled protozoans to complex multicellular plants and animals like us. But at the molecular level, all life is fundamentally made up of the same building blocks, DNA and RNA. One of the primary differences between DNA and RNA is that DNA is double-stranded, while RNA is single-stranded. So. DNA and RNA are acids. DNA stands for desoxyribonucleic acid and RNA stands for ribonucleic acid. In the case of monkeypox, being a DNA virus, so being double-stranded, it has half the replicating errors as it has double processing power, so to speak. Whereas RNA viruses like COVID have tons of glitches and they mutate a lot. Like in life, the less processing power a person has up there, the more issues, problems, and trouble and grief they cause, like the Republicans, for example. I don't know how you managed to pull off that analogy, but good job with the Republicans. So the DNA <laughs> viruses like monkeypox don't tend to mutate, unless maybe it got some help to mutate, maybe in a lab. Maybe in Siberia, where no one would look. Uh, small digression. We know our boy Putin is big on his poisons, his nerve agents, and his bioweapons. His fascination with undetectable poisons started when he was in East Germany and Dresden, uh, working with the Stasi. And we have a premium episode about that phase of his life and his time in the Stasi and all about how the fall of Berlin uh, affected him and the lessons he learned and where he went next. Yes, and since you mentioned our premium episodes, guys, if you enjoy our content and want to get the premium episodes while supporting Dubious, because by the way, we are a completely independent podcast. We have no editing team, no sound people. We have no media company backing us up, no budget. And, you know, we work on the episodes you hear on nights and weekends. If you want to support us, you can become a patron by clicking on the link in the episode notes or by going to dubiouspod.com and there's a become a patron button there. And the best part is, is that sign up process is super easy. It's going to take you like 10 seconds. Not the usual hassle because we don't use Patreon and we don't need your live story. Yes, and you'll get all our episodes plus two exclusive premium episodes a month only available to our patrons all ad free and monkeypox free. <laughs> <laughs> so for a virus typically contained to Central and West Africa, there was an outbreak that up until yesterday was only affecting NATO countries. Hmm. <laughs> On May the 20th, there were four countries with confirmed cases outside of Africa, the US, the UK, Spain, and Portugal. And as we record this on May the 24th, the monkeypox cases have also been confirmed in the following countries, Sweden, Denmark, Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Israel, Belgium, France, Canada, Australia, United Arab Emirates, Slovenia, and Austria. Wow, that's extremely, extremely unusual for such a virus. So on May 20, there are only four countries with confirmed cases. And now five days later, there are 18 countries with monkeypox cases. 
I mean, I'm no expert, but that's an exponential progression, I would say. Yes, that is not normal. Or people are a lot hornier than we give them credit for, one or the other. And I don't think that's the case. So this virus is not supposed to spread <laughs> so easily and so quickly. Yes, I hate speculating on this sort of thing, but the science is clear on this virus and this pattern we see now doesn't really fit with what we've always known about viruses in the quote-unquote pox family, let's call it that. So, so far, the World Health Organization is saying there are about 250 cases identified outside of Africa in the countries we discussed, and statistically, in the big picture, that's not a big number, but this has never happened before. Outbreaks outside of Africa in 14 countries at almost the same time. So men who have sex with men, but more specifically those aged 20 to 50, and so that means those who are not vaccinated against smallpox in all likelihood. Yes, men 20 to 50, men who have sex with men, and we say men having sex with men because it's not only gay men, it's also bisexual people and, you know, even some straight men. Yes, some straight men happen to experiment too, you know, that saying, being straight is like spaghetti, you're straight until you get wet. So it's very... <laughs> <laughs> So it's very important not to stigmatize any part of the population, any community, because monkeypox is like smallpox. If the first person infected would have been a toddler who passed the virus on to other toddlers at the kindergarten, we wouldn't even have to say don't stigmatize the toddlers. But because some people have a very skewed understanding of how viruses work, they might try to blame this on the LGBTQIA community, you know, as Putin would very much like and probably intended. We'll get to that in a jiffy. I I mean, these Republicans did try to blame the, quote, illegal babies <laughs> for the baby formula shortage already. They have a fascination with the illegal babies. They think babies are just like uh, launching themselves over the border, like uh, like borders or something. <laughs> I, I don't want to see the, uh, the sheep they count in their dreams. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> Blaming another marginalized group they hate would not really be a surprise. But the bigger question is how the virus was introduced into this community and whether it's a coincidence or not. Yes, exactly. Monkeypox has not been classified as a sexually transmitted disease for a reason, because it's not. It's more of a matter of, you know, the lesions, these lesions that appear in the genital area too, so that means direct contact with an infected area. So it's not sexually transmitted, it's just close contact, like the virus usually transmits, even the, the blisters on the face if two people kiss, right? So even sleeping in the same bed, also waning populous immunity from the lack of smallpox vaccine, which we thought we didn't need anymore, is partly at play here too. But look, this is really important. Early narratives about the disease can rapidly and prematurely cement into accepted lore. And if those narratives turn into stigma, they could stop people from coming forward with symptoms. Not to mention, it's ethically horribly wrong to stigmatize any demographics, communities, and so on. Like President Biden said, quote, everybody should be concerned. In other words, this is not a virus affecting only this or that community. It can and it will spread to all humans as we are all the same physiologically. End of story. What do we know about the first case, Neil? The first person outside of Africa infected and diagnosed with monkeypox in these latest outbreaks? So the first case, which was identified in the United Kingdom on May the 7th, 
fit a more traditional pattern. The individual had recently traveled to Nigeria, but several others hadn't been to Africa, either recently or ever, and some had no contact with people known to be infected. This suggests that it mutated in such a way that now people are contagious before showing symptoms. This is the last thing we need after the past two years of COVID, I swear. Yeah, but thankfully, we do have vaccines and medications for it. There's concern, though, for good reason. Are these new cases a more transmissible strain of monkeypox? Did it mutate? Or are they simply the result of people traveling more after COVID restrictions were lifted? Or maybe something else entirely? Yeah, the bottom line is, from what we know so far, scientists at this moment do not have a clear explanation for the outbreak's unusual patterns, nor does anyone else. Well, we have a, shall we say, an inkling (laughs) as to what might be going on, though, besides the obvious. Anyway, we'll get to Russia's weaponizing of smallpox, but hopefully in the coming days, scientists will make some progress and we'll have sequenced the current outbreak strain to find out if it's really different from the prior monkeypox outbreaks. Uh, in the U.S., we're definitely going to see more cases, though. Yes, I agree. And I actually tried to find the exact number of people in the US that are being monitored by the CDC for being infected with monkeypox. The best estimate I could find is six, but that's from a report from May 20. I saw something today about potentially seven. We know for sure there is a confirmed case in Massachusetts, one in New York and one in Florida. And just as we were getting ready to record this, there was another one reported in uh, California. But it looks like officials are bracing for more. And don't forget, incubation period is up to 21 days. That's three weeks. So again, we're not trying to cause panic, but we are doing this episode also to try to inform people, you know, because knowing the correct info about the disease, you know, like symptoms and how it transmits is the first step in the how to protect yourself staircase, so to speak, right? And the good news is that there are actually two smallpox vaccines. Uh, The first one and an attenuated version of the first vaccine, with the first vaccine, one in one million cases would replicate uncontrollably because that person was immune compromised or had an underlying disease. The attenuated version has an even smaller chance of such a thing. Yes, and there are two anti-smallpox CDC-approved medicines, uh, T-pox and Tembexa, both apparently work for monkeypox too. Speaking of, guess who's having a good day? Who? Biotech companies, like <laughs> Tonics Pharmaceuticals and Emergent Biosolutions and Bavarian Nordic. Uh, the markets might be in freefall, but these guys, they're up. They are up anywhere from 12 to 40% in the past few days. Yes, makes sense. It always happens when an outbreak occurs. Whoever is producing the vaccine or medicine is getting a stock bump. Yeah, and it's time to look a bit into which countries have smallpox virus stockpiles. Officially, only two countries kept small stockpiles of smallpox as a safety precaution in case the virus were to reoccur naturally. And those two are the U.S. and Russia, of course. (laughs) Russia produced tons of the virus as a biological weapon in the Soviet era, and it holds one of the two internationally authorized smallpox virus supplies at a laboratory in Koltsevo, Siberia. 
the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia, has the other authorized stock of the virus. Yes, and Amy Smithson, an expert on biological and chemical weapons proliferation at the Henry L. Stimson Center in Washington, said, quote, One would have to be ridiculously optimistic to conclude there are now only two locations in the world where smallpox is stored, and I do mean ridiculously optimistic. End quote. Donald Henderson, the American physician who led the global smallpox eradication effort from 1966 to 77, said, I think there's more in Russia than in the one center designated as a smallpox repository. There's no question about that. And these two people are probably right. Uh, the Soviet Union made industrial quantities of smallpox for years after it signed a 1972 treaty prohibiting that exact such thing. So Russian credibility on all fields is, well, sort of down the drain at this point but not their ability to create bioweapons. Exactly. Frank Fenner, an Australian physician, now 84, who chaired the Global Commission that finally certified the world as smallpox-free in 1980, said, quote, I think the likelihood that the Russians destroyed everything except what they have in the World Health Organization laboratory is very small. So Russia and US officially have smallpox virus talks. How about unofficially? What do we know? Well, the CIA believes that, in fact, four nations have secret smallpox virus stocks. Iraq, North Korea, France, and, of course, Russia. The CIA claims to have almost irrefutable evidence that Russia is keeping hidden stocks of the virus, according to a Washington Post report, which says the State Center for Research on Virology and Biotechnology in Novosibirsk, called Vector, is in possession of smallpox and anthrax, as well as more recent pathogens like Ebola. Yes, and before we get a little bit into what the vector biolab is, why would Putin start these monkeypox outbreaks? You know, and just to clarify, if Russia has smallpox stocks, which we know they do, they have or can make monkeypox virus too. They're in the same virus family. We established that. So that's why we are looking at countries with smallpox stocks. And by the way, do you know who was the first Russian to ever be vaccinated against smallpox? Who? Catherine II, also known as Catherine the Great, on October 23rd, 1768. But back to Putin. Why would he do this? Why would Putin cause the monkeypox outbreaks if that's the case? What does he stand to gain from this? You know, I think the timing for one is perfect. He's losing the war in Ukraine. He feels that the NATO countries that helped Ukraine will help less financially and otherwise if they were distracted by a new pandemic, having to allocate funds to battle a new pandemic on top of a predicted spike in COVID cases in the fall. And that would give Putin an opportunity to maybe regroup the troops and try, you know, a bit later. Either way, it's both a distraction tactic and a vindictive move in line with his godlike complex, you know, like, oh, I'm going to bring the plague on them kind of thing. Also, very cowardly move as he can't beat NATO back to Ukraine into submission on the battlefield. So he chose a different invisible weapon. So even if this won't deter NATO countries and other countries to help Ukraine, it would still bring satisfaction to Putin. And just a small caveat, obviously, this is a hypothetical discussion. We don't know if Putin really, you know, caused these outbreaks, but mm, we know the U.S. was preparing for a long time for something like this. A bio exactly. Yeah. Yes. And another peculiarity, we know how Putin feels about gay men in particular. He hates them. 
Uh, Putin has the same sort of traditional value stuff in the past decade in Russia that we see from right-wingers in the U.S., uh, supported by the Orthodox Church. His traditional family and gender ideals were framed as matters of national survival, and adherence to hetero and uh, cis-normativity became qualifying conditions, not just of respectability, but of a sort of national belonging. So in Russia, if you're gay, transgender, bisexual, uh, or any other such non-straight sexuality, you're less than Russian and a threat to the traditional values, and by extension, a threat to the state. Yes, sounds like what Ceausescu did in Romania, banning same-sex marriage and imprisoning anyone who was not quote-unquote traditional, also sounds like what Republicans want to do here now, what their values are, you know? Yeah, and he masks this hate of these people by saying, this is a quote, special attention is devoted to supporting the family, motherhood, fatherhood, and childhood children's upbringing and their overall spiritual, moral, intellectual, and physical development. Higher birth rates are necessary in order to increase the population of Russia. And I read all of this thinking of him being chased down a hallway by a giant rat, because (laughs) he also thought that was cool about his own childhood. Yeah. So, of course, abortion bans are included, too, just like it was in Sandra's country for 30 Mm -hmm. years. And almost like what Republicans are doing now here in the U.S. in 2022. And I say almost because even Putin has exceptions for (laughs) abortions in some cases, (laughs) like Putin and the Taliban are more reasonable than Texas. So as we discussed in recent episodes, so Republicans... I guess not so much. It's uh, it's Gilead here. Yes. And by ensuring that the monkeypox virus was introduced possibly on purpose in the LGBTQIA community in Western countries, Putin kills two birds with one stone. So he attacks a group of people he hates and despises and provides even more propaganda for the Republicans who will surely jump on the crazy finger-pointing wagon, blaming the gays for these new outbreaks of monkeypox, thus being able to sell even better their hate and walk back civil rights like gay marriage because... Their base is just like the average Russian, very religious, easily manipulated, believes God sends plagues, all that nonsense. Furthermore, Putin knows that this will further serve to divide America and other countries where nationalism is on the rise. This is layered, very smart, actually. Putin is not stupid. He's evil, but not stupid. It's really amazing that he's managed to keep one foot in the KGB and the other... In the church's influence, uh, in a formerly Marxist country, that's just, it's amazing to me. It is, yeah. But anyways, we'll give it a few days, and Fox News is going to be using the same phrasing. I'll go ahead and predict. Republicans start with the assumption that anything they don't like is oppressive of themselves, and they are de facto allowed to dictate the lives of everybody else. I agree. Uh, And I couldn't have said it better myself. And by the way, I'm 100% sure that's the play here. Because Putin is gaining 10 years of life every time a Republican opens their (laughs) mouth, (laughs) despite possibly having cancer and Parkinson's, as we discussed in our Putin is dying episode. And the monkeypox thing, people might wonder, well, 
if it doesn't have a high mortality rate, why didn't Putin choose a different virus? Because the scope is not to kill as many Westerners as possible. The goal is to consume financial resources of NATO countries, to deepen the division and to cause panic and distrust in Western governments. All of these things strengthen him domestically. They consolidate his power and also on a global level nationalistic movements and totalitarian type of ideologies will get more fuel. But back to our monkeypox, it will affect Russians too, if it hasn't already. It's 2022, you can't contain a pandemic if we get to that again. Uh, We saw it with COVID. But if Russians get infected, Putin does not care, as he has full control over Russian medical and scientific institutions, which will report zero cases of monkeypox, I'm sure. Yes. Putin would profit from these monkeypox outbreaks in several different ways, and that he has the capability to put all this in motion. So let's talk about Vector, the Russian biolab. Yes, Vector opened during the height of the Cold War in 1974 as a bioterrorism research center. The biolab in Novosibirsk Oblast is still one of Russia's most heavily guarded sites, fenced off with barbed wire, armed soldiers permanently stationed at the gates, and this 70,000 square feet center is about the same size as a football pitch, and it is one of the 100 research and administrative buildings in the facility, known in Russia as, you know, Vector, right? So it's one of just 59 maximum security biolabs in the world. And Vector has clearance to handle the world's deadliest pathogens and the workers responsible for studying the viruses wear military green full body hazmat suits at all times. This facility is situated in the foothills of southwestern Siberia on the border of Kazakhstan, where temperatures can get as low as minus 40 Celsius in the winter. Russia claims the lab shut down research into weapons in 1992 after the fall of the Soviet party and shifted focus to only work on developing vaccines for lethal viruses. But a U.S. State Department report in 2021 says Russia, quote, maintains an offensive biological weapons program, despite the country insisting it had ceased such research. Yes, I mean, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations said that Putin could use bioweapons. So, mm, I mean. Yeah, officially, Vector focuses on developing vaccines for stuff like anthrax, Ebola, HIV, Marburg, and, incidentally, smallpox, (laughs) which is kind of weird, as we already have several extremely efficient vaccines for smallpox, and supposedly it's been eradicated. Yes, by the way, Marburg is a hemorrhagic fever, a highly fatal disease caused by a virus from the same family as the one that causes Ebola. And at least two people who worked at the lab have been killed from Marburg and Ebola, respectively, after accidentally coming into contact with the viruses. One of them, I think, prickled her finger with an infected needle by mistake. Horrible way to die. It's very violent and like horror movie-like. Yes. And some more interesting stuff. A Russian scientist who was in charge of producing Ebola and smallpox for the Kremlin disappeared in 2017. And before I get into the theory of this guy, let's just say that anyone holding that position 
is going to be monitored 24-7 by the FSB. These people are important. They don't just let them come and go willy-nilly. They don't just walk away without raising any eyebrows. So are you smelling a scapegoat? Like <laughs> like preparing the field in case of future bioterrorist attack like monkeypox now would be traced back to Russia? Like a safety net maybe for Putin to say, it wasn't me, it was this guy who fled, we don't know where he is, he's probably working for another government now. I mean, maybe blame Iraq or North Korea and then, you know, Putin saying we have nothing to do with this? Maybe. I mean, that would be the obvious thing. But in any case, this microbiologist, formerly in charge of Russia's repository of the planet's most deadly diseases, has been missing now for five years. His name is Professor Ilya Drozdov, and he's been put on Interpol's most wanted list, suggesting that the Russian authorities fear he has fled abroad. Or they pretend to fear he has gone abroad, because we know one thing about the Russians. They do not wash their clothes in public. For Russia to admit their top biowarfare scientist fled is highly unusual. They don't do that. Moreover, they accused him of stealing 2 million rubles, then worth around, I don't know, 27,000 euros from the facility. Which, think about it, not really plausible. People with such functions and such jobs do have a comfortable lifestyle anyway, and as intellectuals, they are more motivated by status, the respect and connections they have, other things, you know. This guy with an amazing lifelong career, stealing $27,000 euros and fleeing, mm, nope. Nah, yeah. Nah. Plus, Russians do not admit publicly to such things. They come up with stuff like, you know, oh, he resigned and he served faithfully and it was time for him to enjoy his pension and spend more time with his family, you know. And they'd be looking for him on the down low. And one day would read in the news that this guy who used to work for Putin was found dead on a bench in a park in Surrey or a hotel room, you know, and it looks like a heart attack. That's what Russia would really do, I think. Yeah, so he was head of Vector, and then he vanishes without a trace. Nah, I don't think so. He's either dead at Putin's orders, or he's living in luxury in some dacha somewhere in the Moscow suburbs under a 24-7 FSB guard. I would honestly guess the latter, because they don't let smart people get away as easily as, you know, the average random oligarch does. <laughs> uh, you know, smart people come in handy in the future. Yes, and to be honest, putting myself in Putin's shoes, that's exactly what I would do too if I had been weaponizing viruses for decades. I'd prepare a safety net response for when I'll finally use them. And there has been no comment from Russian police over where they think Drozdov is now, for example, or if they fear he has fled to the West or a country that might wish to exploit his expertise. But the Interior Ministry of Russia confirmed he is on their wanted list and he faces immediate detention if he can be found. Which again, the fact that they even confirmed this is unusual. Oh, and the court ordered Drozdov to be arrested in absentia over the alleged fraud four years after reported the Siberian Times. Not buying it. Nah, nah, <laughs> not really. Especially since Russia itself has accused the U.S. of developing bioweapons in Ukrainian labs as part of its justification for their war. Although there's nothing to back those claims up. And we keep saying that everyone accuses what they're guilty of, including, of course, Mr. Putin. 
Yes, I wouldn't be surprised if Russian propaganda will try to blame monkeypox on the Ukrainian, quote-unquote, I, I can see it in my head, the gay Nazis. The did gay this, Nazis, you know? yes, that's the most yeah. obvious thing. <laughs> they are, yeah, they are that insane, the Russians. And I mean by the Russians, I don't mean the people, I mean the people in power. And they might do it, and guess what? The people in Russia would believe it because they have nothing but state-controlled media. Tucker Carlson and Hannity's people would believe it. Many people with no critical thinking skills would believe it. It's sad, but true. He does like stirring his drama. I mean, he'll say whatever. A U.S. State Department report last year stated that Russia, quote, maintains an offensive biological weapons program and is in violation of its obligation under Articles 1 and 2 of the Biological Weapons Convention. The issue of compliance by Russia with the BWC has been a concern for many years. Yes, this convention, which forced the USSR to officially disband Biopreparat, is an international treaty banning countries from developing and stockpiling biological weapons. Biopreparat Agency, which was basically a biolab, and it spearheaded the country's biological warfare program, was founded in 1974, the same year as um, as the Vector Lab, and it employed about 40,000 workers across five military-focused institutes. And thanks to a surprisingly detailed and well-researched article in the Daily Mail of all places, we know that the Vector facility, which now employs only a third of the staff it had back in the Soviet era, is one of 59 level 4 security labs dotted around 23 different countries. And the largest facility in the world is the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. There are seven in the UK, the best known of which is the Defense Science and Technology Laboratory run by the Ministry of Defense at its base in Porton Down, Wiltshire, where two labs research threats from biological weapons. Another high-security lab run by the National Institute of Medical Research is based in Camden, North London in the UK, and studies flu viruses capable of causing pandemics. Yes, and many people and scientists too especially are very concerned about the control and management of the dangerous organisms in these labs with some warning that the safety measures are nowhere near sufficient to prevent a global pandemic caused by escaped viruses. I think there's no going back, really. All we can do is, I don't know, double and triple these precautions because we're never going to convince countries like Iraq, North Korea, or Russia to destroy their batches of deadly viruses. Also, in all fairness, they must be kept for us to be able to further scientific discovery and create new vaccines. So you can't just destroy them all. It's not a smart move, I don't think. There's no simple answer. Philippa Lentos, professor of science and international security at King's College in London, said 75% of high security labs around the world are in basically urban areas, increasing the likelihood of a virus escaping and, more importantly, spreading rapidly. But on the other hand, if you're going to move them out in the country, then just moving them is a similar threat. So destroying them isn't really the best answer either, because research is needed for the vaccine development. So it's a thing that we just cannot uninvent. The world does not go backward. It goes forward. So I suppose better security all around, yeah, is the best answer. 
Yeah, but look, since we talked about the missing vector scientist, let's clarify something. The idea that smallpox posed a real threat took hold in 1998. That's roughly when we started getting prepared for a biological attack. Ken Alibek, another former high official at Vector, who defected to the United States in 1992, revealed the extent of the Soviet bioweapons program. After that event, the Russians put so much security on lab directors and workers that you couldn't disappear, even if you were a magician. And Alibek testified to Congress that through the end of the 1980s, the Soviet Union had produced, quote, hundreds of tons of anthrax weapons, along with dozens of tons of smallpox and plague weapons. He also said that they had worked on splicing genes from other pathogens into smallpox virus to produce novel and possibly vaccine-evading microbes. Such enterprising people are Russian friends. Yes, he added. <laughs> he added that he was, quote, convinced that Russia's biological weapons program has not been completely dismantled. Alibek is the only public source for most of the information he revealed, but his statements are considered credible by those who would know. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, William Patrick, the former head of the Product Development Division of the Biological Warfare Laboratories at Fort Detrick in Frederick, Maryland, said this country owes him an extreme debt of gratitude. His information was certainly eye-opening. And I would like to say that the Biological Warfare Lab does not need a head of product development. I mean, <laughs> Nike needs a head of product development and Apple needs a head of product development, but I don't know what somebody has to do to become the head of product development at the literal in the world lab. So Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a, a, a job name they came up yes, with. Yes, I Basically, get it. I think what it means is more like the lab director. You I know, get, like yeah, that. I get it that, uh, that that's the case. But come on, guys, do us a favor. Think of a new name other than the head of product <laughs> development. Whether smallpox exists anywhere outside Russia or the United States, we can't be 100% sure. We think, and the intelligence indicates, that it does in Iraq and North Korea, as we said, but there is no hard evidence that it really exists, right? So no smallpox was found in Iraq by the United Nations weapons inspectors. However, the inspectors were told by one former Iraqi bioweapons researcher that in 1990, some of his colleagues had worked on camelpox. And camelpox, unlike monkeypox, even though genetically close to smallpox, does not infect human primates. So Iraq could have been using it as a safe replacement in test, but we can't be sure as no inspections happened that can actually confirm this. Yeah, and speaking of inspections, the Vector Biolab and the CDC Biolab in Atlanta, they are both inspected for safety by the WHO every two years. And the Vector Institute's last check was in 2019 before the start of the COVID pandemic. So Vector is a massive compound, though. It's certainly not impossible to hide from an inspector, you know, whatever they want to hide. Yes, I completely agree. And they have so many buildings in there. And I don't think they're letting the 
World Health Organization people go wherever they want. I think it's more like a, an agreement-based thing. Like if the Russians would say no, they can't go in there by force anyway, let's be honest. Well, and, let's call it a controlled walk around. Yes, a controlled <laughs> walk around, yes. And by the way, the last naturally occurring case of smallpox was in 1977, and by 1980, the World Health Organization had declared smallpox globally eradicated. And I'm eternally grateful that even though I was born after 1980s, I still got the vaccine somehow as a child. And by the way, smallpox is estimated to have killed up to 300 million people in the 20th century. That's a lot of dead people, unfortunately. And speaking of, scientists at Vector Lab have also weaponized the Marburg virus, which kills 88% of the people that it infects. The f- uh. Yeah, the first researcher who injected himself with the virus and died in 1988 is reportedly buried in a zinc-lined grave at a cemetery within the lab complex. So, yes, precautions. His death came 16 years before Miss Presnyakova. Presnyakova. His death came 16 <laughs> years before Miss Presnyakova's demise, and she's the one who accidentally pricked her finger with Ebola and died while working in the lab. Ah, this vector lab where scientists die of Marburg and Ebola doesn't scream rigorous safety protocols, does it? <laughs> I mean, I would be more careful. Truly, but no, it doesn't. In 2019, the lab made the news again when a gas cylinder explosion threatened to leak some of its deadly viruses. Russia, of course, right away said that there was no threat after a gas explosion on the fifth floor. Yes, authorities scrambled uh, a bunch of fire engines and firefighters to tackle the blaze, which the lab claims covered 30 square meters only. The mayor of Koltsovo claimed that no biologically hazardous materials were released in the explosion, which I highly doubt, to be honest. Yes, it's the same bit about uh, there cannot be graphite on the roof of the Chernobyl reactor because that would mean the reactor has exploded. So, yes. Yeah. The lab claims it improved security measures and, well, they probably did for their own good or for nobody else's. Mm-hmm. But they also say that Vector now only works on vaccine research and is no longer involved in biological warfare. Nah. In recent years, yeah, in recent years, Vector has been involved in efforts to find cures and antidotes to killers such as bubonic plague, anthrax, hepatitis B, HIV, and cancer. That is true, you know, but this doesn't mean that's all they do. Yeah, and destroying all of these facilities is really not the solution, again, because the possibilities of smallpox and other deadly viruses like cholera and bubonic plague remained in unintentional but probably recoverable repositories. Uh, At a meeting in 1991 in Munich, Russian researchers reported that they'd tried to extract virus from the body of a 19th century smallpox victim unearthed from a frozen grave in Yakutia. Yes, and Fenner, an Australian veteran of the eradication campaign, clearly said that he thinks super increased security in biolabs is the solution, even though he would like to see all those stockpiles of viruses destroyed. 
but he said that this is the safest way to ensure the viruses don't escape. He said layers and layers of security measures, quote, I think the virus stockpiles should be left in their liquid nitrogen containers and should have to be guarded by both microbiological and military security forever. And let's get to a bit more positive bit of info. The U.S. is in the process of releasing a vaccine from the national stockpile, so we don't need to panic. But if you do experience anything like the symptoms we mentioned, you should probably go to the ER right away. Yes, exactly. And President Biden said the smallpox vaccine is effective on monkeypox and the United States has enough of the vaccine in the likelihood of a problem. And I quote, I just don't think it rises to the level of the kind of concern that existed with COVID-19, but I think people should be careful, he said. So yes. So maybe not the end of the world after all this time. I guess we'll have to do that next week or the week after but for <laughs> this for this week uh let's get to the books what books do we have for this episode sandra well i have no monkeypox books but i do want to recommend again winter is coming by chess grandmaster russian dissident and anti-putin activist and pro-democracy activist gary kasparov It's the one book that comes to mind when talking about Putin and how he thinks, how he sees the world and the extent to which he will go to stay in power. So if you haven't read it yet, Winter is Coming by Kerry Kasparov. You cannot not have this book in your library or, you know, virtual library. It's a must read. Yes. And I'm going to add one to the list, even though Sandra did not know about it. This is a uh, little premonition for things to come for our people who are sticking with us at the end of this hour. The KGB's Poison Factory by former GRU agent, now history professor in America, Boris Volodarsky. I am beginning this book for a future episode we're going to do, and Mm -hmm. it is, well, let's say my highlighter is wearing thin. So, (laughs) yes, very good stuff. And let's also remind people here at the end that our premium episodes exclusively available to our patrons are out there and you can get them by clicking on the link in the episode notes or by going to dubiouspod.com and clicking on the become a patron button right there on the home page you'll not only get the premium episodes you'll get all of our regular episodes ad free as well Yes, and also, if you like us, a five stars rating and hopefully a good review would really be helpful. But most of all, recommend us to your friends. Oh, and I almost forgot again. If you guys are social media butterflies, we are at DubiousPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And thank you, fam, for listening. Yes, thanks, everybody. And we will see you guys next time. <laughs>